Hello and welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We are your hosts, Matt Levine. And Vincent Hannum. And we're talking about all of our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between, all strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services, follow the Zach Pack on social media, and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. Thank you all so much for hanging out. Vincent, how's it going tonight? Oh, so good, man. We're going to talk about a killer rat movie that's not, um, I was going to say Mouse Hunt. Remember that movie from the 90s? <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to love that movie. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, school is back in session at the uh, where I teach high school, and I am got some creative irons in the fire that I'll definitely want to share with our listeners here in a little bit. But how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, change is afoot for me as well. Um, I just started a new job a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's basically an editing position. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's about it. That's all I have going on. But I'm excited to talk about this movie of unknown origin. Isn't it nice when we have so much going on in our lives that we can carve out some time to watch some monster movies, which for me always presents a nice escapism element to it where I could just chill out for a couple hours and either laugh or or have my jaw hang open uh, with the likes of Orca, for example. Yeah, or cry <laughs> or with cry. the likes of Orca, for example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. I, you know, I feel bad because like in general, my movie watching has declined over the last couple of weeks, like just a lot going on and, um, you know, social things, professional things and whatnot. But yeah, to your point, like, you know, it, there, it's always important to carve out time for movies and creative endeavors. So um, I look forward to this recording. I had been all week. So it's it's nice to talk to you as always. Yeah. Um, thanks as always to our patrons. Um, we really appreciate you. Thanks for your support, Jason, Kelly, Peggy, and our anonymous donor. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, for everybody else out there, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, you can also share this podcast with a friend. We definitely appreciate that. And as always, please send your listener comments to campkaiju at gmail.com. We definitely want to know what you think about the podcast. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. Yeah, and you can do that also at our website, campkaijumoviereviews.com, where you can also check out past episodes of this podcast, information about our Patreon, information about upcoming events, which I'll get to in just a second, as well as blog reviews that Matt and I are typing up about all kinds of monster movies we don't feature on the podcast. And a couple of those events that I need to actually update the website with now, we have the Minnesota Web Fest coming up in the first week of October in Duluth. And then the second upcoming event that we have, um, very different, uh, Matt, I have just written a play, we've mentioned it before, called The Hand That Washed Ashore. It's a one-act horror-themed play 
about a disembodied hand that is discovered by a team of construction workers, and the hand runs amok. Murder and mayhem ensues, and the team has to defeat the evil hand before it kills them. Um, And it is being produced, I'm co-producing it, at the Twin Cities Horror Festival in Minneapolis, October 19th through the 29th. I will put the link in the bio to that info and more. I can't wait to see it. I have not read the script. I have not seen a sneak preview, although I think you kind of just had like a a sneak peek last night. So I am very, very excited to watch this play in a little more than a month. Do you know what movie I just watched last week? It's a killer hand movie. That's your hint. The Hand starring Michael Caine? No, not yet. It's another killer hand movie. Uh, Because that movie's terrible, but I would be very excited to hear what you think about it. Uh, Killer Hand movie. Oh, well, I think you saw this a while ago, but what is it called? Mad Love? Is that a Killer killer Hand movie? Yeah, kind of. All right, another hand is from the 1990s. Mm. Oh, Idle Hands? Yeah. That's a fun movie. (laughs) (laughs) My play is not like Idle Hands. Except that as a killer hand. But uh, what do you think of Idle Hands? I haven't seen it for a very long time. I remember liking it, though. It's like the most 90s cast of all time with both Jessica Alba and Devin Sawa, I believe. And Seth Green. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Um, what, more importantly, what did you think? You've seen it a lot more recently than I have. Yeah. And for like for the first time, I thought it was the I thought I found it had like a really nice stoner charm to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ended up liking it more than I thought I would in terms of like great cast chemistry. I felt like the effects were actually pretty good. It's just, it's a very male centric film mm-hmm. and it's a very, very much a stoner comedy. So I don't know. It's a matter of taste. If you, if you don't mind those kinds of movies, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I think like when it came out, it got pretty bad reviews because it's kind of just like messy and like, you know, rambling, I guess. But like in retrospect, that's maybe one of the more charming things about it. It's hard to think of too many other killer hand movies, but I'm sure there are others out there. So if anybody knows of any that you Mm -hmm. want to recommend, please let us know. Yeah, we're all about it. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So like you said, like a lot of good, good stuff coming up, creative endeavors and whatnot. Um. But tonight, we are talking about the movie Of Unknown Origin from 1983. Um, Well, actually, sorry, let me me backtrack a little bit. What else do we have coming up on the podcast itself? So, Matt, we need to talk about this. So, our next next week, we're going to do King Kong 1976. After that, we are in full-blown spooky season. My next pick on the docket is... Ed Wood's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, man. A classic in a certain way. Often called the worst movie ever made. (laughs) But does it stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. I I already know what I think about that movie, but I don't want to like ruin ruin the surprise if I don't know how much of a surprise (laughs) it is. So I, I won't get into that too much right now. I'll just say that like, you know, the notion of good or bad or like best or worst is kind of irrelevant when it comes to movies like that, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I don't disagree with you. After that, though, 
I'm going to my wild card is by request by Frank Olson and another fan of ours, Brandy, the film Troll 2. Yes, that's a great one. I've never seen it. I know the line. So I I am I'm strapped in ready to go. <laughs> there are like several lines that are already coming to mind from that movie that I really love very much. Um yeah, that's a good double feature. I mean, you know, so bad it's good, guilty pleasures, whatever you want to call them. Um yeah, very very fun movie. So that'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, I think so. And then at the end of the month, you have Day of the Triffids and I'll let you come up with a a wild card to pair with that one. Can I say what the wild card is right now? I think I already know. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm dying to know. So one of the movies that I was going to suggest for later this year, I think the last one I proposed for 2023 was The Toxic Avenger. Mm. And then we had to kind of like cut back our list a little bit. So I took that off the list. But now I'm going to put it back on. I feel like it's going to go perfectly with this like So Bad It's Good series. Um, And I just really want to talk about it. So Toxic Avenger, that's coming up too. That's amazing because... Another movie I've always heard about, never seen. Very campy, very gory, but kind of, you know, charming in a way. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) All right. I think all of our October picks seem to fit, seem to fit that mold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll be perfect. Cool. Cool. All right. I'm excited. Me too. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, October is always my favorite month and now it's shaping up to be even better. So I can't wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tonight, though, we're talking about Of Unknown Origin. Uh, This was my pick for tonight, and I'm curious what your history is with this movie. Had you ever heard about it or seen it before uh, before now? Not in the slightest. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about that. I I, it was completely new to me and I was watching it just thinking, I want to ask you that question. What's your history with this movie? Why did you pick it? Um, so I first saw this in like 2008, I think 2008 or 2009. And that's when I was going to Emory, uh, for a grad program in film studies. So, you know, my, like the, the MA program was very much about like, you know, film analysis, film theory, um, some silent films, some kind of like primary research into like the archives of Hollywood and stuff like that. But the people that I went to film school with, you know, we like, campy cheesy horror movies like anybody else so um yeah so this was a movie that we watched back then so that would have been like 15 years ago and i was really blown away by it i mean i'll you know with some reservations but uh yeah it's a fun movie it's really ridiculous i had never heard of it before and just wanted to watch it again and i will say for the most part it holds up i I, yeah i just i'm just really excited to hear what you have to say about it yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. It's um, it's a fun movie. It's not a masterpiece, but there's um, there's a lot going on <laughs> in a certain way. <laughs> All right. But, but mostly it's a guy versus a rat. That's basically what it is. Uh, so we'll start it off. The, the movie is about a character named Bart Hughes, who is a wealthy banker who lives in a very nice Manhattan brownstone with his beautiful wife, Meg, and their son, Peter. Uh, Bart renovated the home himself and takes great pride in it. His wife and son soon leave town to visit her family, but Bart stays behind, focusing on a work project that should land him a big promotion. Almost immediately, Bart's dishwasher floods, and the drainage hose seems to have been bitten through by an animal. 
Cleet, the superintendent of a neighboring building, warns Bart that it's probably a rat, vicious creatures that can survive almost anything. Bart becomes obsessed with killing the rat, trying unsuccessfully to use mousetraps and poison. He becomes distracted at work, putting his promotion in jeopardy and garnering the concern of his secretary and boss. The brownstone becomes increasingly destroyed by the rat and Bart's attempts to kill it, until Bart builds a makeshift suit of armor and some handmade weapons. He finally kills the rat as it hides within a scale model of the house that Bart so lovingly renovated. His family soon returns, shocked at the carnage that their home has undergone. Some good symbolism there, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Lots, of, lots of metaphor there. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much it. And it, like, honestly, that plot summary is more in depth than we probably even needed to be. Like, it's <laughs> it's a guy versus a rat. That's what it is. Um, but, I would say that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. It's not a giant rat, which is me going into this. I had it built up in my mind that it would be a large sort of, if not supernatural, just larger than your ordinary rat. Yeah. And then watching the movie i was just like oh this is literally just a rat normal size i mean it's a still a big rat but it's not anything out of the ordinary i'd say so just putting that out there yeah that's um you know sneak peek a little bit that's one of the things i like about it like it's a very plausible sort of nightmare scenario that anybody certainly anybody living in new york city could conceivably encounter so i kind of like that about it <laughs> Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this movie and wanted to see it in the first place, like 15 years ago, is the director, whose name is George P. Cosmatos. I think I'm pronouncing that right, but I could be wrong. Uh, he's a Greek-Italian director who made some movies in Italy, found some success that way, um, and then moved to North America. This was his first movie that he made after moving across the Atlantic. Uh, it's a Canadian-American co-production. Uh, he would go on to make much more well-known movies after this, uh, such as Rambo First Blood Part 2 in 1985, Cobra, another Stallone movie in 1986, Leviathan uh, from 1989, also starring Peter Weller, a really awesome horror movie that I hope to bring to the podcast someday, and Tombstone, the Western from 1993 with Kurt Russell, um, Val, Com Val Kilmer, um, probably his most well-known movie. Wow. With, yeah. With the exception of First Blood Part 2, which is either like, uh, you know, like a badge of honor or a mark of shame, depending on how you look at that movie. I, I I'm impressed by that. I didn't know that about the director. I know all those movies. I have seen Rambo First Blood Part 2 more than a couple of times. <laughs> like, uh, regardless of quality, one of the most entertaining movies ever made, I would say. Oh my god, and 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 it was my Rambo Rocky phase in high school, so I just ate it up. It was it was it was the best movie ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I it may still be. Who knows? I would stand by that argument. Um, I I also found out recently that George is the father of another director, Panos Cosmatos, who has directed several very surreal cult favorites that have been made over the last ten or so years. Uh, Mandy Nicholas Cage is one of them. Panos Cosmatos directed that movie. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow is another one that he made. Panos. Um, yeah, so it's a very talented filmmaking family. 
And I think one of the things that I like about George is that, you know, I mean, like his movies might not be like deep art movies, but they are so stylish. They're so visually sort of um, meticulous. Hmm. The level of like care that he brings to a movie like this is is pretty impressive, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, aside from George, there's really not a lot of people in the crew that are very well known. Um, I, I, you know, I think the cinematography in this movie, which is by Rene Verzier, is pretty good. Uh, Verzier also shot the movie Rabid for David Cronenberg, another Canadian movie from around this time. Uh, and pretty good musical score by Kenneth Wanberg. Um, but I mean, I looked through their credits online and I was like, I have not seen any of these movies. So a relatively obscure cat or crew, I, I should say. Like, would you call this an indie film, an independent film? Yeah, I mean, I, it was pre- released by, uh, what was it, Warner Brothers. Uh, sorry, I can't talk tonight. It was released by Warner Brothers. So it's like technically a studio movie, but I think it was like relatively low budget, you know, just like kind of a cheap knockoff horror movie that I don't think they really expected to do very much. It's Yeah, I just asked because it did seem like that. It's a Canadian or at least co-Canadian production. So yeah, I'm always interested in in especially horror movies, monster movies that are away from sort of the big studio money machine. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, the 80s are probably the best decade for that. I mean, you do have like all the cheap slasher movies and Friday the 13th and stuff like that. But you also have some like really radical uh, in, in like the true sense of the word horror movies, including those made by David Cronenberg, who I just mentioned. Um, what are some other examples? Possession, the Polish co-production mm. from the early 80s. So yeah, it was a good time for horror. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, there's a decent cast in this movie, though, including Peter Weller. I think you're a Peter Weller fan. Is that right? Well, certainly in RoboCop. I'm just like a RoboCop fan. Um, yeah, I'd love to bring that to the podcast one day. I hope we do. Yeah. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, who made uh, Starship Troopers, which we just talked yeah. about recently. Uh, but Peter Weller is great. I'm a huge fan of his. He also starred in Naked Lunch, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Uh, TV shows such as 24 and Longmire, many, many other movies and TV shows. And he's from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So how can you not like Peter Weller? <laughs> Is that close to where you grew up? Not really. Uh, Stevens Point, I think, is kind of in like South Central Wisconsin, maybe closer to Madison than Milwaukee, which is close to where I grew up outside okay. of Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, I mean, any Wisconsinite I'm a fan of. I have to be. Hey, quick shout out for Matt Levine here. I am reading his novel right now, Hollow, that takes place in Wisconsin. And if you like uh, really twisted, witchy ghost stories, this has it. This has it in spades. So, uh, Matt, I'm enjoying your book right now. Thank you. I appreciate the shout out. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wisconsin horror is one of my favorite subgenres. You don't really encounter it very much, but I love it when I do. Totally. I get what you're, I get what you mean with that. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Peter Weller, uh, Wisconsin horror embodied one might say. Peter Weller. <laughs> um, aside from that, I mean, like again, kind of an, an obscure cast a little bit, not too many superstars in this movie. Um, I did read that the character of Cleet, who's the superintendent from the building next door, this kind of like, hairy troll-like guy who seems to know everything about rats for some reason was also in Scanners, another David Cronenberg movie who's an unexpected sort of 
um, motif in this episode. But Louis Del Grand, I think that's how you pronounce his name, plays Cleet in Of Unknown Origin and in the movie Scanners. He plays the guy whose head explodes at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I've never seen Scanners, but that image is so iconic. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Scanners is awesome. I love that movie. And like, you know, I feel like most people have probably seen or like know about that moment when the guy's head explodes. But still, when you see it in Scanners, it is shocking every single time. I oh, love it. It's on, yeah, it's on my list for sure. Um, so Louis Del Grand, uh, a very specific claim to fame, but a very good one. Yeah. Another sort of interesting member of the cast is Shannon Tweed. Uh, she was Playboy's Playmate of the Year in 1982, which is a year before Of Unknown Origin came out, which sort of helps explain the gratuitous nudity that she um, is subjected to in this movie. Uh, within the first several minutes, she's she's naked, so... Uh, so there's that right yeah. right right she would go she would like star in like many many sort of like you know skinamax steamy erotic thrillers later in her career so that's sort of what she became known for but this is one of her earliest roles in this movie mm. all right yeah the how about the rat anything on on our rat friend Wow, that is a great question. I have to admit in my research, I did not really find anything <laughs> out about the rat. Did you? No, I'm just being a uh, a jerk. Um, but that, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm sure the animal trainers, um, whoever they were, they did a good job. Well, actually, I mean, they did do a good job. But I'm thinking about how this movie is shot. You don't really see the rat and Peter Weller in this frame together. That's true. I, you know, compare it. You're, you're probably going to hate me for this. You're going to kick me off of the show permanently after I say this. <laughs> what? But I feel like of unknown origin is similar to Jaws in the sense that it like <laughs> use sort of uses um kind of like suggestion and like very brief glimpses to like kind of like conjure like a very menacing um presence for the rat, even though yeah. we never really get like a very good look at it, you know? Um, yeah. But we do. We get like a lot of great close ups of like slimy tails and like buck teeth that are really yellow and like all the sort of disgusting aspects of a rat which yeah. is hypothetically scary you know right right so i'm sure we'll talk about this in the aesthetic and the form but yeah super close-ups on the rat and all of its grossness intercut with whatever peter weller is doing so yeah i, I agree with you the power of suggestion is there for sure yeah and I, you know, I think like, well, yeah, like you said, we'll talk about this more, but like the the lighting and the extreme close ups, including like a shot where like we see the rat sort of like get flushed down the toilet and it's like sliding through <laughs> like the pipes or whatever. Yeah. Amazing shot. I love that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun moment. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I think even though we never get a great look at it, we we feel the presence of the rat nonetheless. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I, I was just looking this up. Bob Dunn is the animal trainer for this movie. So don't know anything else about him, but good job, Bob Dunn. Well done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> A lot of lame puns there unintentionally. Sorry. Well, that's kind of our MO right now. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Do you want to talk about the production of the film a little bit? Yeah, but please jump in if you have more to expand um, with these notes, but the film itself is based on a novel called The Visitor by 
Chauncey. Is it Chauncey or Chancey? Chauncey is what I've heard before. Okay. Chauncey G. Parker, <laughs> 1979. So it hadn't been out long before it was adapted by screenwriter Brian Taggart, who had previously written the slasher movie Visiting Hours for the same producer, Pierre David. Uh, the film was shot in Montreal in late 1982, and there were some additional location shootings in New York City. The majority of the film was shot in sequence, so the destruction of the house could progress throughout the production, which um, is usually not the case with film production. Usually um, a, a movie is filmed completely out of order from the scenes laid out in the script. Uh, so I, I do find it always interesting when a film goes from the beginning to the end in one shooting schedule. And here there was a clear artistic choice for it. Yeah. And I think probably maybe a budget choice too, just in the sense that like they maybe didn't have the time or the money to like put the set back together and like, you know, keep track of all that. So I'm guessing maybe that's why they did it that way, but I, I think it works pretty well. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it's only one set too. Right. So, I mean, mostly you have that one interior of the apartment mostly for the film. Yeah, for the most part. I guess there are a couple in like the high rise office building that Bart works in. But yeah, mm -hmm. for the most part, it's that brownstone. Yeah. Um, so maybe not surprisingly, when the movie came out, it got pretty mixed reviews. Um, Vincent Canby of the New York Times really hated it. He did kind of compliment Peter Weller a little bit, who I guess was a big stage star at the time that this movie came out. But mm -hmm. of unknown origin was his first leading role in a film. So, yeah, Canby uh, complimented Peter Weller's performance, but other than that, really hated the movie. Um, on the other hand, Kevin Thomas of the Los Angeles Times loved it. He called it a visual tour de force. Um, another big fan of this movie is Stephen King. It's one of Stephen mm. King's favorite horror movies. So, um, you know, it has that going for it. Yeah, Stephen King, man. Um, we won't go off on that tangent, but uh, just a horror icon. I'd say he knows what he's talking about, um, but, uh, you know, he's someone I, I he's someone whose movies adaptations I definitely want to get more of on the podcast at some point. Yeah, for sure. There are so many of them and they vary a lot in quality. You know, I feel like Stephen King's taste in movies is not always very reliable. Like he, he hated the Kubrick adaptation of The Shining and loved like the TV adaptation that was done many years later. Mm -hmm. And I, he might be the only person on the planet who thinks that the Kubrick version of that is not as good as the other one. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, of course, he's closer to the story. So that's he's biased. That totally makes sense. <laughs> um, so, you know, we yeah, maybe Stephen King's love for this movie should be taken with a grain of salt. But um, but yeah, just an interesting trivia fact. Yeah, totally. Do you know how um, how this movie performed upon release with critic or sorry, with audiences and box office? I think it was like a modest box office success and made, I think about a million dollars, which is not very much, but it also, its budget was very, very low. So I think it like made a decent profit. Um, mm. Sorry, I'm trying to find out right now. That's all right. Well, then I'll go ahead and read our sponsor break. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. Your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. 
And Matt, you can still look for that. We have um, a note in Mina's mailbox here from Jason Caldwell's Jason Caldwell 5627 on our YouTube page. He writes in commenting on our episode on the birds. And Jason says, the making of this movie is actually more interesting and freaky than the movie itself. Hitchcock was notorious for abusing his leading women, and he had a thing for lovely blondes. Remember when watching the birds that real live terrified birds were thrown into the actress's face? Her terror is completely genuine. Indeed. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those productions where you're like, ah, oh, mean, it's I don't like support the way that it was made. Don't really support Hitchcock as a person. He definitely seems like he had a lot of issues. And yet, you know, maybe it led to a masterpiece. Yeah, I love the birds. I keep thinking about it and I just I, I want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's endlessly fascinating. Like I've seen that movie probably about uh, maybe less than 10, maybe like eight, seven or eight is what I want to say. And like every time I see it, it has like new surprises and like insights to reveal. You know, there's so much to that movie. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason, for that comment. Thank you for your support. Everyone else listening, please write in. Um, however you enjoy this podcast, just leave a comment. We'll be sure to feature it on the show. I have some Orca comments that I will save for next week's episode. Uh, so we'll get to you. Don't worry about that. Awesome. And uh, so I did actually find out that this movie did not do very well at the box office. I was correct that it made a little bit over a million overall in the United States, but its budget was four million. So it did not make a profit. And uh, I don't know exactly how it did overseas, but I don't think it really did especially well. So, yeah, not not a huge success for of of unknown origin. But maybe it's due for a reappraisal. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's kind of in the process of reappraisal. Like the sort of more recent reviews that I was able to find online generally are pretty complimentary and say like, you know, you maybe have never heard of this movie, but it's fun, it's stylish. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's kind of being reevaluated a little bit. Cool. I love yeah. it when that happens. Yeah, totally. Maybe not to the extent of Starship Troopers, but still, you know, it's uh, it's on <laughs> give the it a, Yeah, give it more time. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right. So of unknown origin seems like just a movie about a man against a rat, as we've mentioned several times. But uh, I do think there are some other kind of deeper themes going on here. Uh, do you, were there any themes that you picked up on that you want to talk about? Yeah, um, I think. Let me pull it up. Sorry, I take notes on my phone. No problem. Um Kind of sift through my movies. Alligator, not this week. Orca, last week. King Kong, next week. Wait, where's my unknown origin? Okay, there it is. Um, yeah, uh, critique of modernity in um, the in the I I saw that in Bart's brownstone and his job. Very you know contemporary eighties success, material wealth that all goes to crap by the end of the movie. Um, and I just saw that as a as a comment on maybe the the decline of maybe the decline of our Western civilization encapsulated. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I think there's this sense that like, you know, Bart seems to be successful by all like outward appearances. He has a lot of money, a beautiful family and all that stuff. 
But, you know, when he has to kind of like revert back to like um, stereotypically speaking, like the origins of man, like hunter and gatherer, sort of like battling prey, that sort of thing, or battling mm -hmm. predators, I should say. Um, he's totally inept, at least at first. And like, you know, the the only way that he's able to kind of like um, become victorious by the end of the movie is first of all to like rely on these other men like these blue collar workers like a mm. hardware store salesman a superintendent uh, of the building who like know what they're talking about they kind of are a, more of like a masculine man is like the the general cliche says uh that's the only way that he's able to like beat this thing otherwise like the things that make him successful are totally worthless in this particular instance I love that you commenting on the the working class characters in contrast to him. I also noted how this 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 obsession he gets about defeating this rat um, seems to become the only thing maybe within his control because he's got his promotion happening, but maybe not. There's a, like a lot of things at his job seemingly out of his control. And he like channels his his um, need for, um, I don't know, conquering this thing into this rat. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I think like, um, you know, we, we get the sense that he's emasculated by a lot of things in his life. Certainly like his his coworkers who are all kind of like trying to like vie for like the promotion and all that stuff but also just by like his wife's family because his wife has a very, very rich family. They, you know, like his wife says several times throughout the movie, even though she's not really in it very much, like, oh, my dad will pay for it. Like, he'll take care of it. Don't don't worry about it. And Bart every time is like, no, like I I can do this. Like I'm in, I'm in control, you know? So we get <laughs> yeah. the sense that he's desperately trying to convince himself of that, even though he almost never seems to be. Right. Um, another theme I picked up on was... Um, the relationship between humanity and the natural world. And this really comes to the forefront at a, there's a dinner party scene, which is a great scene actually. And Bart is sitting at the table with his um, coworkers, maybe his managers. And he just goes off on a tangent about the history of rats in, in Europe and the black death and how rats are the biggest killer of humans in his, in the history of the world and they're looking at him gobsmacked and it's hilarious. And that scene, that that dialogue just made me think about our relationship to seemingly insignificant creatures and how actually they can be the most dangerous to us. Yeah, and that's why I think New York is like the perfect setting for this story, because that's a city that seems to symbolize progress and like all the great things that humanity is capable of and yet this seemingly small animal can still like wreak havoc wherever it goes including in this like biggest most gleaming city so i think it's like the perfect way to express that yeah um i think like another interesting thing about this movie is that it seems like bart is actually kind of having this wish fulfillment of like destroying everything in his life <laughs> um i think there's this idea you know like he again he's successful he has a beautiful family he's very wealthy and all that stuff but he seems kind of unhappy with that certainly with like the promotion that he's you know trying to get and all that stuff so like really he's only fulfilled when first of all his wife and his son leave town and like this kind of perfect family is no longer in sight 
And second of all, when he destroys this beautiful brownstone that he renovated by his own bare hands, like he only really seems to be happy in this movie at the very end, certainly because he kills the rat, but also because maybe he's destroyed everything in his life, or at least it's kind of temporarily removed from it. You know, it's kind of a, a really interesting sort of like when you have nowhere else to go, just like destroying everything is the only way to be happy. <laughs> Which is, is extreme. I, you know, but it's kind of like the, you know, the Freud sort of like death drive or whatever. Like, yeah, if you achieve your dreams or whatever, where else do you go? Just destroy all of it. Uh, it's kind of an interesting subtext in this movie. No, it's a it's a it's an absurd film by the end. It's very manic, uh, very cathartic in that sense of why can't you just destroy your house and be OK with it? Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned we talked with the plot synopsis, how like at the end he kills the rat by like destroying the scale model of the brownstone, which is mm. located in his basement. And I feel like that expresses that really well. Like mm -hmm. it is cathartic when he destroys the symbol of of what he's achieved, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, I also just want a quick shout out. Bart is reading Moby Dick at one point and just the parallel between he and Captain Ahab's own obsession with a wild creature totally and he's watching the old man in the sea with spencer tracy later in yep. the movie too yeah that was very fun yeah yeah some good um allusions there yeah um yeah so there's some stuff going on in this movie um any, any other themes that you want to talk about um the rat race yep <laughs> but um bum yeah. yeah, it's yeah. And, you know, actually, like Peter Weller did kind of um, uh, kind of make that comparison as well. He described it as a story of survival. And he said, quote, the ambition of the guy with his job draws comparisons to the guy who is trying to kill this rat at the expense of his house. The theme of it all is to survive at all costs. Um, so that's maybe one of the most you know, like obvious themes in the movie. But he, but he's right. Like, that's uh, certainly like the tension between that character. Agreed. The Rat Race, indeed. <laughs> rat Race, the movie, featured Smash Mouth at the end credits. And rest in peace, the lead singer of Smash Mouth, who just died. Ah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amazed that you remembered that. I saw Rat Race when it first came out, and I remember hating it, but I remember nothing else about that movie. I just remember watching it way more than I maybe should have. But I think that's where our age comes into into play because I think I was like at the age where I would have watched Rat, Rat Race more than once. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, that makes sense. And I think I was in high school and of course I had a refined and mature sense of uh, artistic appreciation by that point. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. That's not true at all. You um, and your Rambo twos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I'm amazed that you worked in a shout out to the Smash Mouth lead singer. Uh, that's I'm still just trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> well done. So, uh, what I think is the best part of this movie, the form and the aesthetic, it's just such a visually stylish movie again for like a ridiculous story that does not really seem to deserve like such a, an amazing aesthetic. Um, mm. like I think there are, uh, some like really dynamic tracking shots including like with like a miniature camera that, or maybe it's like a full size camera that's going through like a model set. But in any case, it seems to be going through like all these sewage pipes and through like the kind of um, the walls in the house. It's really well done. It looks really good. 
Um, we mentioned before these extreme close-ups with this like great harsh backlighting mm-hmm. with like the rat's like tail and like buck teeth and, and claws and all that. Um, and the last thing, the last kind of aesthetic thing that I want to call out is a split diopter shot. One of my favorite shots in all of cinema. Brian De Palma does this a lot. Um, and I think we talked about it, I think, with Godzilla 1984 or The Return of Godzilla. It's basically a device where, like, two... You can have two different focal planes in the image at the same time. So, like, on the left-hand side of the frame, you might have, like, an extreme close-up of a rat. And on the other side of the frame, you might have, like, a cat, for example, mm-hmm. in the distance that's also sharply in focus. But you have this kind of, like, blurry, like, metal ground in between them. It's a really weird, stylish-looking shot that Cosmatos does like at least twice in this movie. I think maybe more than that. And I love it. Like it's, you know, again, it's a device that you don't really see all that often, but it's so, um, such a unique style. It's, it looks great. Cool. Yeah. Split diopters. I will always go to bat for them. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's things I, I wasn't really picking up on, but I love that like the um the use of of space with Bart's character when he is in his office um just you know the parallel of that he in his own sort of tubes and like those sort of hamster elaborate um what what am i thinking of like the tubey things yeah yeah are yeah. they just called hamster tubes i'm not really totally sure i don't know either but <laughs> <laughs> You know, just comparing that to the rat in this movie in its own tubes and pipes. And just more parallels there between the two. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a really great shot that's like from outside of Bart's office window, kind of like looking up at him a little bit. So like we do, we kind of see him and his secretary uh, inside of his office. But then we see like a reflection of this towering skyscraper, like on the other, like, you know, reflected in the window or whatever. And it's a really great way to express that, like, he seems to be in control of, like, the city. He's looking out above it all. And yet, at the same time, he's kind of totally powerless, like we talked about. Like, these kind of status symbols, like, do nothing for him. And yeah. and you're right. Like, the way that, like, the space is um, uh, conveyed when he's in that office setting is really, really uh, expressive. It's well done. And in the house, too. Like, it is, not only is it just one main set, interior set, but it is... It I don't know. There's a brownstone is larger than I feel like the 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 camera makes it. I feel like it's still a small house in this movie, and I just feel like I was I was meant to feel a sense of not claustrophobia but of tight spaces. That is what a rat lives in too. So I do think it's shot really well and dynamically. But like on a small scale, you know, it's not like an epic yeah. movie. It's it's purposely, I think, meant to be um, intimate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love the hammock that they have in their bedroom, which is like suspended above his bed. Yeah. Which for some reason, he decides to like escape to like towards the end of the movie. But it like and then like the rat sort of like burrows through the ceiling and like, you know, attacks him that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good way to like convey that claustrophobia, like you said. And that's another thing, like. You know, I've never had a pet rat, but I feel like I've seen pet rats in their cages with like little, not hammocks, but like little beds or something. And 
I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. That's one more way that like the the set design and the production design made Bart's house as much of a rat's house as it could be. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, as the Smashing Pumpkins would say, in spite of his rage, he's still just a rat in a cage, right? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I also I did not expect to have that reference tonight either. So yeah. I didn't know where you're going with that, but then I did. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, right? Now I'm already got that wrong. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who that was. Now that song stuck in my head. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, you're totally right. There are some very clever ways that it kind of like uh equates the two of them the the human and the rat yeah not all that different after all (laughs) all right so we're we're in our breakdown the good the bad and the campy um do you want to go first with the good or or should i do so um i can go first yeah i've got just a a few things here that we haven't talked about already um i loved weller's beleaguered performance as i as i noted it um, I love the runtime of this film. It's 90 minutes and it gets right to the action. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of setup. Boom. Guy has a rat infestation. We're off to the races. Um, I think it's hilarious. The plumber guy that you're talking about serves whatever function the story needs him to. <laughs> he's 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 all in one, a, a rat expert. He was a soldier in Nam. He like spouts philosophy at one point about the relationship of man and rats. He's a survivalist and he's just an all around eccentric human being, which I thought was great. Yeah. It's very and economical that... storytelling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I could almost see this as a play, which is, I it's something I always love. And then finally that toilet scene um, was, was uh, I think, it was more it was like a jump scare, right? It was a proper jump scare that got me good watching this film. Yeah, I do love that moment. And, you know, <laughs> this is another totally ridiculous comparison. But like in Psycho, in the shower scene, like we never see the knife going into her body or anything. But like still, there's the impression that it's like so graphic and violent and extreme. Like that's why that scene is so great. And and in that scene, the scene in Of Unknown Origin, where he finds the rat in the toilet they're never uh, in the frame together at the same time. And yet it's so convincing, like this very rapid editing, the sound effects, the like jump scare, like you said. Um, It's really well done, even though like you can see through the artifice, like you know how they made the scene, but it still works. And you know what? Uh, Speaking of Hitchcock, because he was the master of like psychological cues, I have no doubt that that toilet scene is so effective as, as a male watching it. Because subconsciously, my penis is there at the toilet. And God, this, the image of a rat attacking me there is the most frighteningly emasculating thing in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how many times have I, like, woken up in the middle of the night and stumbled into the bathroom, not even aware of what's going on? And, like, anything could be in there and I wouldn't even know. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah, you're you're totally right. Yeah. It's... Uh, Maybe effective for all viewers, but some viewers more than others, perhaps. Right, right. Yeah, I love all that. I, I'm glad that you brought up Peter Weller's performance. I think he's really great. He's funny. He's charming. He's playful. I think like we do get the sense of like his kind of inner um, dissatisfaction with his life, 
but also he's just like a very likable guy and we're we're rooting for him you know yeah. um so i think he's great um i i am i was surprised on this rewatch just like how much thematically there is going on it's not like it's like super deep or complex or anything but it does have like a satirical point about modernity and wealth and masculinity like we talked about um but really for me it's the visual style like this is such a yeah surprisingly beautiful movie really visceral and i don't think you really get too many kind of just like hour and a half thrillers that look this good anymore so it's kind of a throwback in mm. that way mm-hmm. yeah refreshingly simple like we got three main characters really one situation i wish uh that's my thing with like modern movies there's always so much there's a b plot there's a c plot there are side characters i'm like whoa it's it's exhausting sometimes to watch new movies yeah simplicity can be an asset you know yeah um all right but there is some bad stuff in this movie too uh what what do you have in your bad category uh i have a i have quite a bit but i'm gonna go through it um i i i wanted i think i wanted a i love the simplicity but maybe i wanted a little bit more to the rat itself um because it was kind of hard for me to suspend my disbelief um with just like this man really can't kill this rat like the exterminators can't kill this rat like we have all dealt with mice or vermin in our homes and there are ways to eliminate them that somehow elude this one man <laughs> and, and it was at that point i was like okay if this is supposed to be a comedy great i'm in for the ride but i'm 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 getting i went in i don't know so the tone was a little ambiguous for me because i was like mm -hmm. if this is a serious movie um i'm having a hard time buying this the increasing absurdity of the of the movie of the story yeah <clears throat> that makes sense i mean i i do kind of i'm glad it's not like a genetically modified rat or anything like that like i'm happy that it's like yeah somebody in new york probably would deal with this or, or might deal with this like at some point in their life you know um but i yeah i mean i i think like just how inept the peter weller character is at dealing with this like i kind of appreciate that about it but like it does make it um so like even though it's kind of a short movie it's only 90 minutes like it does run out of steam because you can only watch a guy try to kill a rat for so long and then it's like all right we get it he's trying the traps he's trying the poison nothing works so i do agree that like on just like a narrative level it does kind of like lead to a lack of suspense after a little while and uh i'll just follow that up with um yes it is not a genetically modified rat however there's that moment where bart um kills the babies and the offspring mm -hmm. and then that seems to change the rat then the rat does seem to have a, a vengeance a vendetta against bart and i'm like that that's not normal for a rat to do. Mm. So in that case, are we dealing with a a more than natural rat? Again, it was it was just kind of like a ambiguous tone thing that I was I was wrestling with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
I mean, I do think this movie is funny at times, but I never find it very scary. So like, I yeah, like if it is trying to be both, then it's not successful at all the things that it's trying to do. Yeah, but I, I will concede that if I was watching this with a group of people, I think I would have a much different um, experience with the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would laugh out loud more. I think I would. Yeah, I think I'd have a, a more fun time with it than just on my own coming at it as like a serious movie yeah i think that is kind of part of the movie's like reevaluation a little bit like i know this has kind of been in some uh like midnight screenings like throughout the country over the last several years um i don't know if you know tape freaks that's like a series that they do at the trilon uh it's like a surprise film every time and it's sort of just like for the most part like trashy old horror movies that nobody remembers and like i know this played as part of that maybe like a year ago or so so I think it's like part of that kind of like cult horror comedy, like all things at once sort of vibe, you know? I love that. I, yep, I would, I would see this movie in that kind of environment. hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think you're right. It's uh it's tone is a little bit inconsistent for sure. Um, I think the, the storytelling, I mean, you mentioned like the, um, the plumber, like the superintendent character sort of serving all these different narrative purposes and yet at the same time, there's another character, the hardware store salesman, who's like exactly the same character. He looks the same. He like seems to know a lot about like do-it-yourself weapons and stuff like that. And it's like two guys that serve the same purpose and look the same and act the same, but they're two different characters. And it's like, I feel like there's a more like expedient way that you could tell this story like in, in that aspect, you know? Yeah. So that part I didn't really like too much. Um, I do think Shannon Tweed... You know, I mean, like, I know it's just a dumb horror movie, but like I always with like gratuitous nudity, I'm like, ah, did we really need that? And we get it several times in this movie. So, you know, I don't love that part of it all that much. Um, she's a beautiful woman, of course, but seems unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I just I, I mentioned this before, but I think you can only watch a guy try to kill a rat for so long and then it runs out of steam. But at least it it got out when it did. You know, if this yeah. movie was made today, it'd be two hours and 20 minutes. It would have some supernatural element to it. It would like create a whole lore and a world building for sequels. And I'd be like, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like you would find out at the end that like one of the like baby rats is still alive or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of campy stuff too. What did you have in your campy category? Uh, (laughs) so, uh, just, uh, his obsession with the rat just kept making me think about Bill Murray and Caddyshack with the (laughs) gopher. Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, and this was in my bad category, but I'll put it in my campy. So there's a scene where Bart is flipping through like a textbook a reference book of rats and that's where you learn that rats are, quote, of unknown origin, which mm-hmm. I didn't know. So I think that's a common misconception, but nonetheless, it's a great title for a yeah. movie. But anyways, he's flipping through the book, at like graphic black and white images of people who have suffered wounds from rat attacks. And because I have seen Jaws more than I can count, it is shot for shot when uh, <laughs> Brody is flipping through his book about shark attacks i'm like this is too on the nose that's all and also like yeah and i think this is 
the the camp of the movie, which apparently went over my head. Um, I don't know the fact that they're they they are they are equating the common rat with a great white shark <laughs> struck me as very silly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, in the grand scheme of things, a rat is not really a great, you know, uh, nemesis or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree that, like, the scene where he's, like, flipping through the textbook is, like, man, like, we, you know, we talked about how Orca is a ripoff of Jaws. And then you watch this, and it's like, this is maybe even more of a ripoff of Jaws, at least in that scene, you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you on that, for sure. I mean, I do... You know, the fact that like a rat is like kind of a ridiculous monster, quote unquote, for a movie. Like, I don't know. I just kind of enjoy it because like you would think that humans are so much higher on the food chain. But like for this one guy, he's he, he there's nothing he can do about it. You know, yeah. he's totally powerless. Um, Yeah. So so some of the campy stuff for me, I think like early on, like before we really know exactly what's going on, uh, the rat is introduced through these like. Um, just like these shadows like over the walls or even like maybe just like a tail that we see like in the corner of the frame or whatever. Um, and I really like that. It's sort of like a throwback to like, you know, like the original horror movies like from the 20s or 30s. Like mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like Dracula by Todd Browning where like, you know, you see like shadows like looming over the walls like Nosferatu does that too. And I kind of like that sort of throwback aspect. So that's yeah. that's a lot of fun, I think. Uh, in like a not so good way, I think there are some really campy moments uh, in the dream sequences that the movie um, gives to us. Uh, in general, I think dream sequences are kind of like a lazy storytelling device. And I definitely think that's true in this case. There's one where like he uh, the Bart character is like having a dream and it's his son's birthday party. And then the rat like leaps through the cake at his at his wife. And it's um, it is really silly. It's kind of fun, but it's like. Uh, what's the point of this? Like, I think you just like realize that like the pace is lagging and you like needed to throw something in there. Right. Know? Hey, how about when the rat is under the sheets on the bed? And it, it that is the most <laughs> phony looking <laughs> effect um, this movie has. <laughs> yeah, that is ridiculous for sure. I, there's no like he would know that rat is in there like with a rat this big it's absurd that he would not realize it was there you know but at the same time i was also low-key terrified by that because i went oh god this rat is huge <laughs> it's the first time you get a good sense of scale with this thing yeah for sure but then of course the rat is flushed down the toilet later in the movie <laughs> so it's like how big actually is this thing like that kind of varies a little bit throughout yeah yeah we're expecting logic from a movie where we probably shouldn't expect any logic, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so of unknown origin, it's our time to give this movie a rating. Uh, so our highest ranking is it's a timeless classic and definitely stands the test of time. Number two, we have, there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and stands the test of time. Number three, it may be historically significant or just fun, but does not stand the test of time. And our lowest ranking, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. I'll go first because I want to I want you to leave us on a high note. OK, so. <laughs> I, th I think you already know where this is going, but we'll see. <laughs> um, clearly, there's artistic merit. Clearly, there's a lot of fun to be had with this movie, but I think you have to watch it with the right frame of mind 
and maybe some a fun-loving crowd. But um, I don't think it stands the test of time. I think it's just a little too bare bones and too un unremarkable for a for a quote unquote monster. So yeah, it's like yeah, man fighting a rat. Good for ninety minutes. I don't need to revisit it. Okay, that's fair. I can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. For yeah, I'm so I'm just gonna bump it up one notch from that. Like for me. Um, there are some antiquated moments or maybe just some kind of like, you know, I, you said bare bones and I think that's totally right. Like I wish there was maybe a little bit more to it at times, but to me, it does stand the test of time. Um, I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. And now like 15 years later, it, it you know, it holds up. I think looks fantastic. It's, uh, very entertaining for the most part, although it kind of, yeah, lags a little bit towards the end and peter weller is great it's fun to see him in one of his first starring roles so yeah it's 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 not a classic but for me it does stand the test of time i love it all right thank you for watching this movie for this episode vincent i appreciate it you kind of indulged my whim to try to see this again uh thank you all for hanging out if you liked what you hear please tell a friend uh leave a rating and review and visit campkaijumoviereviews.com or instagram for more monster movie content we can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded in Minneapolis, St. Paul, with theme music by Terrence Jackson and Minya's mailbox music by Ben Cook Feltz. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. In the 14th century, the rat carried the bubonic plague flea that killed one out of every three people from India to Iceland. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Can you believe that? The most horrible catastrophe in history. Over one-third the entire population of the civilized world destroyed by rats. Not bombs, not guns, but rats. You take your average rat, it can wriggle through a hole no bigger than a quarter swim half a mile and tread water for three days. They can eat through lead and concrete with these teeth that are like chisels that exert an unbelievable 24,000 pounds per square inch per tooth. Really? Yeah. <laughs>